Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him, and joining me today... And my name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. But I will also accept comrade. That's another good one. Yes, as we discussed, comrade is a gender-neutral pronoun. So, comrade Ed will be joining us. Today we are talking about dwarves, the classic fantasy race. Stout, bearded, hardworking, hard-drinking, the finest craftsmen in all the land, and in the land, if you know what I mean. Dwarves are a co-dwarves are a core component of most fantasy settings. But why are they a core component of most fantasy settings? This is something we will discuss. But before we get into that. We have a segment on this podcast called The Weekend Hobby, where we talk about what we've done in the last week of hobby. I'll go first. I ran one game of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, the party basically just had a big fight with the demon like mini-boss at the end of the creepy abandoned jail that they had uh, investigated. Um, it was tough. The demon had a shard of the crystal they were looking for and ate it and gave that gave him extra um, powers. It, it, it gave him additional damage types and some resistances and so changed how the fight was going. And also he was able to teleport at one point, which was kind of annoying to the party who had summoned a dinosaur into the room that he was in. Um, and then the dinosaur couldn't get through the door out. Because it was a Triceratops, and those are big. Yeah, dinosaurs tend to be big. Yes. Um, again, I am very happy that I gave them the flute that summons dinosaurs. Um, after we went to, after they did an expedition to the place that had a bunch of dinosaurs, and were super interested in buying some or like creating a dinosaur farm or something, and I was just like, I'm just gonna give them a flute that allows them to summon dinosaurs, and that way they can just do it without having to have any logistics because frankly D&D is not good at logistics for parties um, the rules for running a business are kind of weak because mm -hmm. it's not a game about running a business it's a game about going into dungeons and killing dragons like one might expect killing dragons is our business yes um, so they basically did that they fought the demon they fought his minions they explored the rest of the jail. There was a giant skeleton stuffed into a smaller room um, that they defeated fairly easily. I mean, it was just a giant skeleton stuffed into a room. It wasn't a big threat. It was like a weird thing. Um, For some reason, I thought you were going to say a skeleton stuffed into a larger skeleton. No, no, no. It was based on that uh, Japanese woodblock print of the, like, giant skeleton. Like threatening some a woman and there's like a samurai attacking it mm. if, if you look up like japanese woodblock print skeleton you'll see the one i mean there's there's really just the one japanese skeleton woodblock it's all you need yeah that'll let you find it on google images but i just thought it was a cool image and so i stuffed a skeleton into a small room and it kind of yeah um, and then they found a secret chamber that where an imp was, like, observing all of this because the imp was the familiar of the summoner, necromancer, warlock, whatever. 
the guy who had set up all these demons here, um, and was observing to see if the party would get killed or at least slowed down. Uh, they captured the imp, and they're gonna be, you know, performing some enhanced interrogation on him to get information. Oh, um, boy. Unaware I feel that, war crimes coming on. I mean... I'm not sure if the imp technically is a combatant. So uh, it might not actually be a war crime, it might just be a regular crime. Um, in either case, they may or may not be aware that the imp can actually just teleport away at any time. So uh, it is getting some information on them as well. Uh, my other group was unable to meet this week due to technical difficulties and scheduling issues. I did play some Blood Bowl. My Skaven team lost gloriously against a undead team that was many, many... a much more experienced team. They had lots of skills and lots of upgrades that I did not. Um, however, I only lost one to nothing, so it wasn't that terrible. And I only had one injury, which was kind of impressive. Especially because at I... least, at least they still lost. Hey, Skaven! Yay, Skaven! In fact, yay, yay, Skaven! Um, yeah, but that was a little sad because if I had won, I basically would have guaranteed my victory in that league. As such, I'm just in the running for like second or third place. Um, yeah, and I also played some Dwarf Fortress in order to prepare for this episode. We'll talk a little oh, about boy. Dwarf Fortress. Uh, we'll probably do an episode about Dwarf Fortress in the future. It seems like the kind of thing we could talk about. But uh, suffice to say, I played the tutorial of the new version of the game, and all my dwarves died. Because that is how Dwarf Fortress does. I believe that is the traditional way one plays Dwarf Fortress. Yes. And... In my case, every time I've come back to Dwarf Fortress <clears throat> since I first started playing it in, like, 2012-ish? Back Might when it earlier. didn't have graphics. Oh, I loved the ASCII-style graphics. It was, I, At one point, I had played enough to, like, be able to interpret it just from glancing at it without tile sets. It was, Unfortunately, I'm the kind of pleb who needs graphics. It, it was a very Matrix moment. Um, at that, because you you stare at the game for long enough and you understand it and you get that scene in the mixture because I look at this and I don't see code. I see blonde, brunette, redhead. It's like that. You stare at it long enough and you don't see code and you don't see little ASCIIs. You're like, oh, dwarf, cat, dog, carp about to destroy my fisherman, whatever. You stare at the fortress long enough and the fortress stares back at you. Yes. But my dwarves all died, despite me digging all the way down to magma, and, um, yeah, the most dangerous things in Dwarf Fortress are lava and water. Also, I I had two ghosts and a zombie roaming my fortress towards the end, and I have a sneaking suspicion it had something to do with the fact that one of my dwarves was a necromancer. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of control over that guy. But Ed... What was your weekend hobby like? Uh, my weekend hobby still isn't. I can't hobby properly. Really, all I've managed to do is play some Magic Arena because my arms are too sore, along with my hands, to do any painting. So I can 
I can tap the screen. That's about it. It's unfortunate. Screen tapping. Yep. Tapping screens and clicking around playing Dwarf Fortress in preparation for today uh, with similar, similar results of mass starvation. Yeah, my second foot generally is the one where I start to get stuff put together and it actually lasts for a couple of in-game years um, before something terrible happens and I kill everyone again. But the third fort, that stays up. At least uh, at least your fort can't fall over, unless you consider a cave-in. I mean, if you go for one of those challenges of building everything above ground, it could. True. Dwarf Fortress, we'll discuss, uh, again, we'll do an episode on Dwarf Fortress, but there is no endgame win state, so it comes down to creating weird challenges for yourself. Whether that's, uh, I don't know, pump lava out into the main world to flood everything with lava, or build a giant megastructure that's a statue of yourself as a dwarf, it's, you know, entirely up to you what you want to do, and how you Not wish to Not dying fail. is generally my strategy. Yes. Not a great one, though. So, with the weekend hobby out of the way, we move from Dwarf Fortress to Dwarves. Where do dwarves come from? Well, uh, the dwarves... Books. Eh, before books. The dwarves, as we recognize them, come from Germanic and Norse mythology. Dwarves show up in the Prose Edda, which is the sort of written form. Uh, it was written by the poet Snorri Snorrelson in the, I want to say, like, 13th century, as basically a way of combining all of the spoken word poems and stories of Norse mythology that, you know, hadn't been written down because they didn't really have a culture of writing shit down at the time. So, predates books. But dwarves show up in the Prose Edda. They are described as residents of Svartalfheim. Himir? Whatever. They, they live on one of the other nine worlds. Uh, the dwarves are... There are some that are shapeshifters. There are some brewers. There are a whole bunch of different craftsmen. Uh, Mjolnir, the Hammer of Thor, is crafted by the dwarves as part of a bet that the dwarves Space dwarves. Um, they also crafted some other stuff. Uh, they make hair for Sif after Loki shaves her head. Uh, they make Odin's spear. They make some cool rings that, like, make more rings that, you know, um, yeah, they make a bunch of different stuff. Um... Their background in the mythology is that they were originally formed like maggots in the flesh of Ymir, the first giant, who oh was used to make the earth after he was slain by the gods. Norse mythology is kind of metal. Or yeah. metal is kind of Norse mythology? I don't know. I'd, I'd say they're both, but either way, Norse mythology is metal, and uh, the Nazis can't have it. We gotta reclaim it. Yeah, see, the Nazis technically have the Germanic folklore, which is some other stuff. Uh, dwarves are a common element of Germanic folklore, because it drew pretty heavily from the Norse stuff. Uh, in this, they are, again, craftsmen and makers of stuff. They have invisibility cloaks a lot of times. They make the magic swords that the heroes often use. Um, and occasionally spirit people away to the, their halls under the mountains. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the dwarves in Germanic folklore tend to be helpful, but not willingly helpful. They have to be tricked or begged or bribed into doing stuff to assist the hero. Bro. Um, whereas the elves will, like, show up and be like, here, hero, have this cloak that gives you powers. The dwarves are like, eh, I guess if I have to, I'll forge you a new sword. Well, we know the elves are a bunch of hippies, so they're just gonna, you know, just hand stuff out willy-nilly. Yeah. Uh, the dwarves also occasionally, you know, steal people into their realms under the mountains or, you know, and then they have to be rescued back. But usually at the end of the rescuing, the dwarves are like, okay, fine, you can have her and also take this magic sword from our treasure room. They're, they're not portrayed as evil so much as just kind of uh, another thing. But that's folklore. Where do dwarves first show up in modern culture? Who popularizes dwarves? One guess. Uh, George R.R. R. Martin. Wrong. Damn. What's your second guess? Uh, I can't think of another another funny one. Well, it's it's actually funny, and it's not what you're thinking. Disney. Oh. Snow White. I, and I the had seven a Snow dwarves. White and the Seven Dwarves joke lined up, but I honestly didn't think that's where it was going. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out in 1937, the same year The Hobbit was first published. And uh, I have to say, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs had a much wider initial audience. Yeah. Initial. Like, I think the the lasting impact of The Hobbit is probably greater. Uh, Maybe because Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs did a lot for animation. Um, But... This is true. In terms of fantasy, The Hobbit did a lot more. Um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves had a wider audience than The Hobbit did initially. The dwarves in it are short, bearded, and work in a mine. Um, they call it a mine. They also sing songs about hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, and all that. They're not a big component of the movie, honestly, but they are sort of setting a cultural stereotype for what you think of dwarves as being. Um... But then, of course, the more lasting cultural touchstone for dwarves is, in fantasy, Tolkien. The Hobbit in 1937 and The Lord of the Rings, published between 1954 and 55, feature dwarves quite heavily. The Hobbit has 12 dwarves on a quest to reclaim their ancestral home from a dragon, while Lord of the Rings features, of course, Gimli as a major character and has a whole scene trapsing through the mines of Moria, a.k.a. Casa Doom. In Tolkien mythology, the dwarves, as explained in the Samarillion, were created by one of the Vala, the, I guess you could call them archangels. Um, again, it's whatever. They're created by one of the powerful celestial beings who were tired of waiting for the elves to show up, basically, <laughs> um, and wanted someone who he could, like, teach crafts to. Um So he made seven dwarves, he taught them language, secrets of mining and forging, and then got found out by the other Vala who were like, no, it's elf time, not dwarf time. And so he was forced to seal the dwarves in stone chambers until they were actually supposed to wake up. Bro, Um, not cool. This eventually happened. The The seven, like, founding original dwarves woke up, went out into the world, founded the dwarven realms, um... Most of the dwarves that we 
hear about in the main line of books are descendants of the line of Durin, who was one of these seven dwarves. Um, <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarves of Durin. <laughs> um, That's the adaptation we need. Yeah. The, the witch comes back to, like, do the poison apple and they just jump at her with axes. Yep. Um, yes. So, Tolkien dwarves are ex- exactly what you would expect from fantasy dwarves. They live underground, they have beards, they are big on mining, they are big on um, metalworking, they go to war, mostly against goblins, orcs, each other, humans, whatever. Usually to defend their lands or to, like, gather more resources. Um, They are where fantasy dwarves kind of... They're the archetype for the modern fantasy dwarf. Um, With some exception, there's a sci-fi novel that's one of the early, like, fantasy novels that Tolkien... uh, That Dungeons & Dragons drew a lot from, and it features a dwarf with a Scottish accent. So uh, that's where that archetype shows up. Um, It's worth discussing when we talk about Tolkien dwarves is that they are at least partially drawn from medieval texts regarding the Jewish people. Oh, boy. They have a lost homeland. They live in other societies but have their own language and culture, a propensity for craftsmanship and accumulating wealth. Uh, Even the warlike elements of the dwarves are drawn from the Torah and Old Testament depictions. This is a deliberate and conscious choice that Tolkien made. Um, And he has said as much in his letters that, yes, the dwarves were Semitic. That he looked at texts describing, like medieval texts describing uh, Judaic peoples who lived in medieval societies and borrowed from that when describing dwarves. I mean, I guess it could have been worse. Yeah, I, I would say it's, they're Semitic, it's not anti-Semitic, though, in most cases, because the dwarves are drawn from that, but they're heroes, or with the heroes most of the time. And it's not exactly a negative depiction. It, it's just, it it's a source that's drawn from. Um, however, you might keep it in mind if you want to not be problematic with your dwarves. I, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to really dig into that. <laughs> dig. I mean, or we could dig into that, but I don't want to. Um, Good save. So, in Dungeons & Dragons, dwarves are mostly drawn from the Tolkien version, like I said, but also the Paul Anderson novel Three Hearts and Three Lions, which has a dwarf character who does a Scottish accent and sort of made that a thing. Um, the names and languages are kind of filed off to avoid copyright infringement lawsuits from Tolkien's estate. That's not a joke. They sued over a couple of things. Um, oh boy. And there are around a dozen different sub-races for dwarves in different settings, including hill dwarves, mountain dwarves, gully dwarves, arctic dwarves, ore cutter dwarves, and gray dwarves, also known as the Durigar, which are the evil dwarves. Uh, Most dwarves in Dungeons & Dragons worship the god Moradin, who is, like, the god of the forge and honor and dwarfy things. Although, again, it depends on the setting. 
Uh, Moradin typically is the dwarf god who made all the dwarves. And by Moradin's he, hammer. Yes, by Moradin's hammer, by Moradin's beard, by Moradin's gem-encrusted boots. Um, the dwarves in Dungeons & Dragons are, again, typically your, sta your standard fantasy dwarves. They live underground, they um, do a lot of mining, a lot of craftsmanship, they are have bonuses to things related to that. Um, oftentimes they have a stone cunning feature, which lets them, you know, understand dungeons better. They can or do something like that. Um, historically, they in older editions, they haven't been good at magic. Um, they weren't able to become wizards for a long time or and, you know, they were had to be clerics instead. Um, just because they don't have as much history of magic in certain settings. Uh, they... They fight with axes. They wear heavy armor. They, uh, use crossbows a lot of the time because bows are for elves. <laughs> I guess. Um, the, the, your dwarves are a stereotype in Dungeons & Dragons, and they're a stereotype in Dungeons & Dragons for a reason. Because everyone understands what dwarves are. Um... To the point that in AD&D, Dwarf was a character class, not a race. Interesting. Um, so was Elf at the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a thing. Uh, but let's get into another setting, another classic fantasy setting. Warhammer Fantasy. Woo! It's, again, one of the other settings that heavily features Dwarves. Dwarves in Warhammer Fantasy are an ancient, gritty, determined race full of craftsmen and miners, just like the Tolkien Dwarves. Unlike the Tolkien Dwarves, the Warhammer Dwarves have a highly systematized form of grudges, with a book of grudges held by each clan, uh, detailing the ways that they feel other people have wronged them. Um, this can range it. from the elves being dicks, to the goblins attacking them, to the human traitors, like misgendering the dwarf that came out to talk to them. Like, it, it's everything. And they, you know, the, the Dwarven Book of Grudges is one of their weird Warhammer Fantasy specific things. Um, the long and bitter feuds with just about every other species and most other clans of dwarves. Um, the Warhammer Fantasy dwarves are also, as far as I'm aware, the first version of dwarves to be depicted with gunpowder. Yep. Um, as they have uh, riflemen and cannons and some, like, organ guns and little tank things. Uh, it's an element that has pushed other depictions of dwarves towards being somewhat technologically advanced in sort of a steampunk, material like, armory material way. Um, it's not something that happened in Dungeons & Dragons, because Dungeons & Dragons almost... Ex Excludes gunpowder entirely. Um, and Warhammer Fantasy was an 80s thing, so it's kind of where that comes from. In video games, we see a number of different types of dwarf. Uh, the first one, Warcraft, which draws heavily from the Warhammer Fantasy version, for yep. reasons. Um, which means that the dwarves in this have gunpowder and mechanical tools... And, you know, heavy armor and uh, sort of that more more mechanized feel. 
Um, the Elder Scrolls series has dwarves that are very different, as they are a race of elves that happen to dwell underground and use, like, magic science. And they're dead. Well, their magic science got too advanced, and they accidentally yeeted themselves off of the main realm of existence. It, it's more mysterious and complicated than that, but we'll discuss what happened with the Dwemer when we do an Elder Scrolls episode. <laughs> it's a core part of, like, two of the games. Because uh, it comes up in Daggerfall and in Morrowind pretty extensively. The mystery of what happened to the Dwemer. And where the hell did they go? And um, what is Chim, anyways? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I. It's complicated. Reach heaven through violence. Um, <laughs> the actual line from one of the books in the game. Oh boy. Uh, Dwarf Fortress, as yeah. we mentioned before, is a game that deserves its own episode, and we'll get to that eventually. Its depiction is basically just Tolkien dwarves, but with the chaos and difficulty of living in an underground settlement turned up to 11. I'm practicing for the collapse of civilization by playing Dwarf Fortress. Yes, in Dwarf Fortress, your civilizations will collapse, guaranteed. Um, in Dwarf Fortress, you take the role of an expedition leader who gets a bunch of dwarves who go to dig a new fortress. Hence the name, Dwarf Fortress. You have to build from scratch using only the supplies you've got and what is brought in via various caravans and entire, like, Mines of Moria, Casa Doom-esque underground city. And good luck. Good luck figuring out how to get your farms working. It's incredibly complicated and incredibly detailed and well worth checking out on Steam if you want to spend $30 on an incredible indie game. Do it. I recommend it. Again, we'll do a full episode on Dwarf Fortress where we discuss some of the history of the game and some of the various weird shenanigans that have happened within it. We can talk about Boat Murdered and the Elephants, and we can talk about you know, some of the other famous Dwarf Fortress events. Um, but beyond those, we also see Space Dwarves um, in video game format. Deep Rock Galactic is quite popular since it came out in 2020-ish. Um, 2021, I don't, I don't know exactly when it came out, but it's been very popular this year. Um, and it's about space dwarves doing dangerous space mining. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of lore about the dwarves, I think. Um, it's more of about four players delving into a ground and mining for resources and slaughtering the alien bioforms that try to attack you. Um, the dwarves essentially are mercenary space miners who work in the harshest environments. They've got various lines and some stuff. They drink heavily. They... You know, there's some fan lore that started to be developed for it, but again, it's just space dwarves. Is it possible to delve too deep when you're in space? I mean, yes, if you delve into a black hole, that would be too deep. This is true. Um, but the older space dwarves were in Warhammer 40k with the squats. Uh... Warhammer 40k introduced the squats in the old, old editions. I think they were in Rogue Trader? Probably. I don't know off the um, top of my head. Yes, they introduced Space Dwarves back in the day, and then they killed them all. Only to reintroduce them recently as the Leagues of Votan. Uh, 
supposedly the same people as the previous one, but uh, renamed so as to be maximum copyright. Um, the original Squats had a cool biker punk aesthetic that was very 80s and very 2000 AD sci-fi inspired. The Leagues of Photon are more traditional dwarf heavy armor with a hint of mining and a hint of, like, Norse decoration style. There was a joke going around for a little bit that they're basically just Norse space marines because they look very space marine-ish. Yeah, I find the Leagues of Photon to be aesthetically really bland. Boring. They they are kind of boring. They Like you said, they look like space marines with just a hint of Norse and a hint of mining gear. Um, none of the models have spoken to me on, like, a you-need-to-buy-this-and-paint-this way. Uh, with the one maybe exception of their, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mining buggy thing. That thing is cool. I do that. That thing like that. looks cool. It does look like it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toy. Um. Uh, there's at least one artist out there who painted theirs up to look like Ninja Turtles. Yes, I've seen that, but it it very much it it looks action figure toyish more so than it does than like it belongs in 40k. It's not grim or dark enough, honestly. Um but that being said, it would be great for other games. I would love it as a terrain piece for like Starfinder. Or not Starfinder, uh Stargrave. It would fit in real well there, I think. That it would. Um, and then, of course, you know, other space dwarves, uh, Starfinder, like I just said, is a game, and it has space dwarves. They're just fantasy dwarves in space, because Starfinder, as a system, I find to be really competent and really interesting, but as a setting, I find to be kind of weak, because it has to merge all the fantasy stuff into space, but also is somehow trying to maintain some level of continuity with Pathfinder, which is a fantasy game, but also not actually explain how it became a sci-fi setting, because that would, you know, ruin the existence of Pathfinder. So it makes some compromises and some other weak th elements that kind of kind of weaken it. And I have to just say, be, just be Pathfinder in the future. Well, that's what it is, but explaining how it became Pathfinder in the future is there was a mysterious event that no one can remember, and now the planet that Pathfinder was on is gone, and there's just a space station there. Yeah, that's kind of weak. Because they don't want to have to explain what happened to all the stuff in Pathfinder. Because if they do that, then people Hire will... Well, no, I, I understand it, because if you do that, if you explain what happened to the Pathfinder world of Glorian, whatever, the, what, if you explain what happened to the Pathfinder world, then it's hard to write modules set there, because you would have to check to make sure that they weren't contradicting something that happens in Starjammer. Or in Starjammer. Star, in Starfinder. Um, there's too many of these things. So, too many jams, too many stars. So you have to sort of just either set it in a new place or do what they did and have the original Pathfinder setting mysteriously disappear and everyone forgets what happened for 500 years. It it, it does lead to a really weak setting, in my opinion. Um, 
some of the races are cool, but also it's just kind of weak. I, I'm I'm not sold on the setting. Um, I am sold on the mechanics of the game because the mechanics are quite solid. I have the core book in my apartment, yeah, on my shelf. Um, let's see, other dwarves. Ed, any other dwarves you want to talk about? No, I think you pretty much covered all the dwarves that I know of in uh, fantasy and or sci-fi. Well, what about your experience with dwarves? Either running them or, you know, playing as them or dwarvish things that you've done? Uh, let's see. Never actually played a dwarf in D&D. Uh, I absolutely despise playing against the dwarves in Blood Bowl because they are possible to knock over and once they get that ball and put a cage around it uh you might as well just let them score the touchdown and wait for the next kickoff yeah i guess blood bowl dwarves are worth chatting about because you know it's warhammer fantasy and blood bowl is theoretically linked to warhammer fantasy um it's much sillier so it's only theoretically linked it's like a weird spin-off where everything is about sports instead of murdering each other Although the sport is kind of about murdering each other, so it fits. Um, it's just a byproduct. It's a byproduct, but it's one that does not share the continuity of the main fantasy universe, because it wouldn't make sense for that to exist. Given, you know, Skaven teams existing and being well-known. Um, when Skaven are giant rats living under the city, I don't believe they exist. For Never. Parts of the there Empire. couldn't. There could not be such a thing. Yes. Um, dwarves in Blood Bowl are heavily armored, slow-moving, a pain to play against because you just can't knock them down. Um, I think the best tactic is really to just force them off the edge of the board. Um, but that can be very hard because they're Even so Even that is going to be tough. hard. And, yeah, it, it, they're real annoying. Um, they also have Slayers which are dwarves that have done something unspeakably bad, whether it was, I don't know, like miscutting a gem or buying non-alcoholic meat or something. And so have Slipping taken... Slipping with an, your straight razor, accidentally cutting off your beard. Yeah, so they've taken an oath to, like, die gloriously in order to reclaim their honor and gone out and painted themselves up in woad and tattoos and look like they're... Uh, a little bit Celtic, or like Celtic Norse berserker style. And uh, yeah, don't wear armor, but they're just a pain in the ass because they're extra strong and ferocious and fanatical. They're also quite cool in the Warhammer Fantasy thing. I remember oh. I played a game of fantasy against an entire army of slayers during... Uh, oh, I can't remember what the campaign was, but for the campaign they added an entire slayer army and they had this ridiculous war machine that all it did was throw axes at you. It was really annoying. Yeah. Um, there's also, I guess we could talk about the Age of Sigmar Dwarves. Um, oh, because, Sky Dwarves. Yeah, yeah. Because after Games Workshop decided they didn't want to do fantasy anymore and they needed to create a, an entirely new game that was more like Warhammer 40k, um, they created Age of Sigmar, and the dwarves in that are the Devarden, again, a trademarkable name, mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, smiths and mining 
and they, um... They're sky pirates. They're sky pirates. They have, like, balloons and ships, airships, and, um... They're weird. It's awesome. <laughs> they're steampunk sky dwarves, which is really weird for a civilization that lives underground to be sky dwarves. That's um, the point. It's ironic. Yeah, it, I will say their models are quite interesting. Um, I do love the, like, steampunk aesthetic of it, and it really leans into that. The ones that are, like steampunk dwarves with their own personal balloon cannons are a little too nuts for me. Especially the one that has its own, like, armored top hat. Mm -hmm. That's, um... that That's beyond parody, right there. Um, but their steampunk battleship things are cool. The, uh, like, armored steampunk guys are great. The, uh, Berserker ones, what are they called? Volkite Berserkers? Are, I don't think I actually have seen those ones yet. They're basically just slayers, but they have helmets. Hmm. Um, yeah, th those are pretty cool. They're, I mean, they're, honestly, their poses are worse than the old slayers, but they're slayers with helmets. Um... Oh, and I guess we can talk about the evil dwarves. Uh, in Dungeons & Dragons, they're the Duragar, which are the gray dwarves, and they live deeper underground. They never come up and see the sun. They can change shape. They can become invisible. Um, again, some of this is drawn from that Germanic mythology we talked about earlier. And they uh, also, you know, tend to be, like, just evil dwarves. Uh, in the Warhammer universe, there are Chaos Dwarves, which are, as the name would tell you, dwarves that have fallen to chaos. Uh, and a race that definitely needs to make a comeback. Oh, I agree. Um, I especially love the fact that they have, like, a Sumerian Mesopotamian look to them. Yeah, it's badass. Uh, with the, like, braided beards and the big tall hats and stuff. Uh, it had some really cool aesthetics. And weird paint jobs. Um, Speaking of Sumeria, there's a camel walking around my dwarf fortress right now. Oh yeah, I start with camels a lot of times. Um, oh, the the Chaos Dwarves also had like a giant cannon as one of their uh, items. It was always super cool. Oh, it was... Um, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but then they also came out with another one for that same campaign that I was playing in where it was like a demon that had been forged into a cannon and it was crewed by chaos dwarves. And it was this little tiny, uh, cameo appearance appearance by the chaos dwarves in a uh, regular Warhammer for a while. Yeah. It looks like the chaos dwarf cannon thing was the hell cannon. Yeah. It was very, very Warhammer. I can't remember if I ever had to face off against one of those. I do remember people saying it actually wasn't as great. As it looked, even though it the model looks looked awesome. Cool. I think that's the important thing, is the rule of looking cool. Yeah. Um, the Basically, Chaos Dwarves were an interesting faction with some interesting aesthetics, and they should definitely bring them back. Yep. Um, 
let's see what else what else other dwarves um we talked about blood bowl i guess my experience with dwarves in dnd i've played some dnd dwarves i've played dwarvish characters uh my paladin torvald broken hammer uh was a very pretty bog standard dwarf paladin serving moradin uh fighting the good fight smashing evil using detect evil to determine that oh that thing's a uh fiend therefore i must kill it and mm -hmm. uh killing a hag at level well at a lower level than he should have um because you know the rest of the party was able to dogpile it and action economy is a shambles um mm -hmm. when a monster is caught alone uh he was a great character until he got killed by a wizard oops I mean, that was a fight he should not have, that the party should not have taken, and he sacrificed himself so that the rest of them could run away. But uh, he did die. Which I guess is what happens when you buy a miniature custom made for your character. Yeah, the, the newest miniature or the one that you made custom is always destined to die. It's just one of those rules. Yes, but I do have a cool custom dwarf paladin miniature sitting on my shelf now because of it. So, uh... Who's the real winner here? Not um, He died. And I was his gonna body say was Hero never Forge, recovered. probably. Yes, Hero Forge was the real winner in that situation. Um, what else? I've run plenty of dwarves as, um, like, civilizations as a dungeon master. Uh, the the pre-made dungeon of the... Forge of Fury is an excellent entry if you're doing a D&D campaign and you want to, like, send your players into a dwarven, like, lost, fallen uh, fort. Um, Ed, you've been run through that. That was the one with the black uh, dragon at the which, bottom. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. Shrink um, that dragon down to size of a house cat. It's not so intimidating anymore. Actually, didn't you cast enlarge on the dwarf paladin NPC who was with you and use that to make him go beast mode on the dragon? Uh, we shrank it down first and then it was too hard to get at because then it would just swim away where we couldn't reach it and then we enlarged the dwarf so that he could wrestle the dragon kaiju style. Yeah, uh, that worked out pretty well. Um, and I've run that uh, module more than once actually. I tweaked it pretty hard the second time, but it's a good module. Uh, the maps are cool, and the various encounters and stuff that happen in it make it a good, like, side adventure for a party of levels 3 to 10, if you really tweak the monsters. Um, but, yeah, it features plenty of dwarves. Um, I've also run some stuff with the dwarves in Eberron at the Corona Peak, uh, which have some interesting stuff going on. I mean, they're pretty typical dwarves trying to reclaim ancient lost heritage in the mountain below the mountains, but there's an, you know, evil force that's overrun the holds. And so they need to fight it back. Um, one thing I introduced was various, uh, guilds and groups of dwarves that are sort of competing to reclaim these areas, which I think is something that could be good for any dwarven campaign where you've got, you know, dwarves trying to reclaim a lost fortress or settlement or whatever, is to have multiple groups doing it and to have disagreements between these groups 
both on who gets credit, but also on the methods being used. Maybe mm -hmm. one of them is sort of more archaeologists and wants to, like, maintain the history of it and, like, study it. Whereas one is staunch traditionalists who want to maintain the history, but they want to maintain the history by moving back in and living there. It belongs in a museum. This is the museum. Yeah. And, That's all I got. And maybe the third group is radicals who want to just flood the whole thing with magma and then carve out a new city from it. Cool. Whole city made of obsidian. You could do well, that. Well, I mean, the, you flood it with obsidian to kill the goblins currently living there, and then you just move in. That works. I mean, you'll have to carve out some new passageways, but hey, look at that. It's, you know, we're good at that. We can carve anything. And maybe the goblin souls have brought all the gemstones into one place. So we'll just pry them out of the corpses. Mm -hmm. um, so dwarves have some good options. Uh, I'd say that if you're going to use dwarves... There's some really stereotypical elements that probably should show up because people expect them. Uh, and that would be, you know, the mining, the heavy armor, paladins kind of stuff. Those are stereotypes and, like, dwarf things for a reason. They work. Um, but also, it's worth trying to do some other stuff. Uh, dwarven monks can be fine, or can be a lot of fun. Uh, especially Way of the Drunken Master Monks. Um, dwarven uh, Artificers, again, fit the style of the dwarfs quite well. Uh, yep. You know, either battle, either the um, Artificers that are, like, with the cannons, or the Artificers that do armor, or even the ones that, like, make the mechanical dog and do buffs and stuff. It's a <laughs> battlesmith. Um uh, I think those so. are those are good as well. Uh, dwarven warlocks could even be interesting if they have bound themselves with like an earth elemental. Um, the one of the Jin packs would work for that because it gives you earth specific stuff. Could be a very interesting dwarf. Um, yeah, so I would say if you're going to use dwarves in your campaign. Use the stereotypes because the stereotypes are exist for a reason and they're fun and they're what people expect. But also throw in some variety. Throw in some dwarves that are different. Um, Sounds use like the a stereotypes, plan. but also break the stereotypes. Break it all down. Um, wild magic sorcerer dwarf. I mean... I can't think of like the most undwarf kind of character. Ranger. No, not not Ranger. <laughs> Druid. <laughs> Druid Dwarf is the least dwarfy dwarf. Um, th that would be my go-to if you're trying to make an undwarfy dwarf, is a Druid Dwarf who is like a sailor background. Because dwarves don't swim. Interesting. He's the, one with the sea. Yeah, dwarves don't swim. They're too... Uh, like compact they're they're too uh too dense they sink immediately because they're you know compact little plugs of muscle so they fall in the water they go straight to the bottom that, at least that's works, my theory works for me i mean plus i imagine getting the salt water out of your beard must suck so 
Yeah. yeah, salt water, not great for your hair. Yeah, so again, dwarves, not an ocean-going race. Except for the times when they are and they have cool, like, dreadnought-type ships. And then, in, that, in those cases, dwarves are ocean-going and it's cool. But just generally. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's what we have to say about dwarves. They're fun. Yeah, I don't uh, think I have any other input on dwarves. Yeah. Uh, go listen to the Song of Durin on YouTube if you really want to get dwarfy with it. Dwarf or, it up. Or any of the weird dwarf songs that people have made and put on YouTube. Those are well mm -hmm. worth it. The Song of Durin is just a Tolkien song that some people did a great acoustic cover of. I highly recommend it. Just don't, don't go ask about the Dwemer. Just don't do it. Yeah, the Dwemer... The Song of Dwemer is much weirder. Um, which, I guess, if that's the main segment over it, that brings us to Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game. And today we're talking about Kabuto Sumo. Kabuto Sumo is a game that was kickstarted in 2020 and made real in 2021, because they're good at it, apparently, about um, using... It's about bug sumo wrestling. Yeah. Just, just straight up, bug sumo wrestling. And it has a really interesting mechanic where it's not cards, it's not dice. It has a, like, physical arena. And you play, put your players on it and then, using various, like, tokens, slide them onto the arena and try to push the other pieces off. Um, it's a lot like those arcade games where you would drop coins in them and then use, like, the position of those coins would cause other pieces to fall off the board. Um, it's like billiards or shuffleboard or, you know, something like that where it's about the positioning of the pieces, the, like, physically pushing it in and a good bit of luck. Uh, it's... I can dig it. I've played it a few times. It's really fun. I've purchased it for someone for a Christmas gift. Hopefully they will enjoy it. Huzzah. Um, it uses various special pieces and special abilities that you can have for your uh, sumo wrestlers that let you do different things and, you know, push weird colored tokens onto the board so that they, you know, chain their signature moves that your wrestlers make that push stuff around in different ways. Um, you can find it at most local game stores. I would recommend it. If you if you think it's in, if you think it sounds interesting, check it out. It has some cool artwork and uh, it, it's interestingly physical for this kind of board game. Uh, which makes it easier to play with uh, people who maybe aren't as into reading all these rules and stuff. Tappity tap. That's, so that's that is our podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, etc. Uh, there will be no podcast next week as it's holidays. And uh, I will be traveling for those. Merry Chrysler. Merry everybody. Um, Merry. Uh, Merry Pippin, Sam, jokes. and Frodo. Have a happy, drunken, pagan Christmas. Yes, have a happy Nolmus. That's, 
that's my preferred holiday. What about Decemberween? Decemberween. I think you have to be in the 2000s to celebrate that. Fair enough. Like, you had to be in the 90s to celebrate Festivus. Yep. Although, Homestar Runner, they've made a bit of a comeback recently, so I don't know. Maybe they will do a Decemberween cartoon this year. They maybe did a Halloween one. Yeah, if they did a Halloween, maybe they'll do a Decemberween. Um, as always, uh, don't cross picket lines. Uh, support your local union. Support your local game store. Uh, this episode will almost certainly not get posted to Twitter because I think we're just about done with Twitter. I've I'm trying to shit post on Twitter and yeah, yeah. I think we're done with the site owned by a guy who is going insane. <laughs> Let's put it that way. The yeah. South African Emerald Air is being—he's becoming a—he's becoming a knockoff Lex Luthor. Yeah, he's like a Bond villain, but Bond villains are actually interesting or something. Usually, they're also actual billionaires, not I mean, fake billionaires. I will say Musk is an actual billionaire for as long as he still has Tesla stock. Uh, I feel like he's not going to have that much longer. Yeah, I mean, I will say, uh, I will say thanks to Elon for uh, uh, screwing with the Tesla stock because we uh, had some Tesla stock that we sold to build a new deck on the house. And then who knows, maybe if he crashes it far enough, we can uh, buy it back. It's like a reverse short sell. Yeah, uh, buy the dip, as they say. Yep. Um, yeah, get fucked, Elon Musk. <laughs> get wrecked. Yeah, uh, but we'll still be on Instagram because that's owned by Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, what? Um, Why are all my mass media owned by billionaires? Because Zuckerberg is attempting to destroy his own company by doing dumb cyberpunk, like, VR shit, and not by literally getting online and becoming an insane person. Which is, I guess, more acceptable. And not as funny, but more acceptable. Here's what we do. We need to turn the metaverse into Morrowind. It'll have better graphics. Even you before have... you install better bodies. You have a point here. <laughs> um, but I don't want, like, NFT real estate inside Morrowind. Oh, God. Like they tried to do with the metaverse. Because they read Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson and were like, Hey, this seems like a good idea. Ignore the parts where this depicts total societal collapse. I feel like that's... I mean, it feels apt that weirdos see all the cyberpunk stuff and say, hey, that's cool, and entirely miss the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um... Because we live in the lamest cyberpunk dystopia. Yeah. Uh, boring dystopia is an apt description of modern society. In any case... Boo. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.